Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome to The Survival Show Podcast. I'm David, the founder of Ultimate Survival Tips and your host for today's show. Back from a pretty serious bout with COVID, everybody. Uh, So I'm really, really glad to be here with you today. Before I go any further, I want to thank producer Ben, Mr. Craig Cottle from Nature Reliance School, my sidekick, Super Joe Wagner, who hosted the show one week, and Mr. Creek Stewart, who we're about to get with here shortly on today's show, You guys are awesome. I also want to thank my wife, Karen, for her care and devotion as she took care of me for several weeks. And also those friends, you guys know who you are, who helped, counseled, and prayed for Karen and I during this time. Thank you, thank you, thank you. So praise the Lord. I'm back and on the mend with a renewed appreciation for everything, for sure. So in today's show, Creek and I are going to get into the very important topic of grid down home heating. We're going to share along the way why having three layers of reliable backup off-grid heat is vital for survival, how to mitigate the chaos you're going to face when the grid goes down and you lose heat and electricity. We're going to share one simple off-grid heating solution that will cost you less than $200. You got to hear this one. As well as one heating solution that can provide safe, secure, and soul-warming heat forever. And then we'll discuss two heating solutions that can provide both heat and power. And along the way, Creek and I are going to share the pros and cons of each heating solution and what we both currently use as backups in our own homes. And a lot more as our discussion revolves around Creek's new book, The Disaster Ready Home. But before we get into all this very important content, let me ask you a question. If things went really bad and someone you love suddenly required emergency medical care right in front of you and emergency medical services were delayed or not coming at all, would you know what to do to save your loved one's life? Or if you were alone and had a traumatic accident or medical emergency, could you save your own life? Well, if your answer to either one of these questions is no, maybe, or it depends, let's get this fixed right now. First and foremost, get some training in basic first aid and how to stop life-threatening bleeding. Next, go grab yourself some tiny first aid guides at Ultimate Survival Tips or on Amazon. The tiny first aid guide is Amazon's new number one choice for first aid guides. It fits in your wallet for everyday carry all the time and includes 51 detailed color illustrations, 101 life-saving first aid skills, 167 expert tips, 24 bonus online training resources, 10 deadly mistakes you must avoid when providing first aid, 5 mental tips to conquer any crisis, 4 pillars of readiness, 19 tactics first responders use, and a lot more including how to manage a mass casualty incident and how to set up a helicopter landing zone for transporting somebody to the hospital. So when the power is out, your phone fails, help is not coming, or disaster strikes and you're on your own, Tiny First Aid Guide is there. So you can go pick up yours at ultimatesurvivaltips.com and over on Amazon. 
All right, let's get into today's show. Creek Stewart, it's been several weeks, and I, brother, I can't tell you after this bout with COVID how happy I am to be here back again with you. Oh man, I'm glad I'm glad you're back, and uh, you sound great, and it's great to hear your voice, man, and I'm 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 glad you made it through it. Yeah, yeah. Well, hey, so we're gonna get into this topic of uh, off grid heating, and maybe maybe we'll get into. Uh, some alternative electrical items. But hey, while we're right here at the beginning, why don't you get us started with why off-grid heating is so important? Well, man, I mean, if heating is one of the most important things that that everyone needs to consider if you're living in a four season environment, you know, if you're living up north or even in the the Midwest or Northwest or Northeast, you know, you know that three, four months out of the year, if you don't have heat, you got some real serious issues. So um, regulating core body temperature obviously is just number one. uh, But but most most people have grid tied heat, whether it's electric furnaces or even even gas tied heat. It's considered grid tied, and natural disasters and and man made disasters for that matter are notorious for knocking down the grid um, for even a short period of time. And having some backup alternatives, even if they're really really simple, is absolutely critical. I'll never forget watching the stories of Texas in 2021, um, Mm. the area of Texas where they just, they just had extreme cold for longer than they're used to. And not only was heating their homes an issue, but then water pipes started, started busting and these houses started flooding and it made the situation so much worse. So if for no other reason than to prevent a situation like that, but heating is just a critical component to um, disaster prep. Yeah. And there was something in your book that, that I, uh, just keyed in on that, uh, you were saying that major, major disruptions like heat loss or electricity loss are not only inconvenient and potential and potentially dangerous, but they can also create a layer of chaos, um, that people and families are not prepared to deal with. Yeah, it makes everything more difficult, right? So all of a sudden, if you don't have heat, every other prep that you've made already becomes more difficult. Cooking becomes more difficult. Um, Dealing with water becomes more difficult. First aid becomes more difficult. I mean, everything, I think anyone would agree that everything is more difficult in the cold. Absolutely. I mean, I know with our YouTube channel, we really, we do have a studio set up here that I'm in right now, but we don't even try to do winter shooting anymore. It's so difficult. Yeah. But then we get back to the rule of threes, right? So, you know, the rule of three, if you're not familiar with it, it's, it's basically uh, three minutes, three hours, three days, three weeks. And these are just like kind of general, general, very general um, kind of time frames of the most critical survival things you need to consider kind of like a priorities of survival. So the rule of three would say that uh, you can't survive for more than about three minutes without proper blood and airflow. And then we get right to three hours 
uh, we need to properly maintain our body temperature. I mean, it, hypothermia can ha happen a lot quicker than that in a lot of environments. I mean, you're you're talking about you're talking about like a, a four season environment, dude. I've been I've been in the desert when it was twenty degrees. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so yeah. you know, even even if you live in really arid places, um, you've got large temperature fluctuations depending on even anomalies in the weather. So um, it can be a very short period of time where you're going to, you're going to start hurting. Your family's going to start hurting if you don't have some sort of backup heating system. And there have been countless cases of people, um, getting hypothermia in temperatures as high as the fifties. So hmm. regulating core body temperature doesn't necessarily mean it's below freezing either. So this, this is a really important mm -hmm. topic today. And, you know, I want to lead off with, you know, we're going to talk today about, some some resource heavy solutions for heating your home and backup solutions mm -hmm. but i'm going to spend a lot of time focusing on the the solutions that are really easy to implement that are inexpensive to implement that make great short-term backups so if if you're mm -hmm. if you're already thinking oh they're just going to talk about wood heat and i got to put in a fireplace and go off grid that is not that is not what you're in for you know we're going to discuss that stuff but i'm going to also give some really practical solutions for someone who may be living even in a small apartment um, or have very few resources, not a budget to remodel. So don't worry about that. This is the, the solutions that we're going to be providing here for backup heating, disaster heating. They're going to fit all gamuts of all people. Yeah, that's a really good Creek. Um, I mean, statistically, and I, I'm just going to, I'll fess up. I, I scammed these numbers right from your book. Uh, 2016 U.S. Census primary heat sources uh, 38% of U.S. homes, their primary heat source is electric. Uh, the 48% is utility gas. 2% is wood. So we've got 46% of homes in 2016 that re rely on what you would call like the utility grid, right? Mm -hmm. 86, yep. Yep, 86. What did I say? 26. 40, 46. That's <laughs> yeah, all right. 86. So it's a staggering. Okay. It's a stag as opposed to 100% relied on wood heat about a little over 100 years ago. Yep. Don't you have a story about your grandparents just before we get into like the heating solutions? Yeah, so my my grandparents and we'll talk about what they used here in a minute, but my grandparents, they heated their home my entire childhood on two kerosene space heaters. Uh, and it was, it was, you know, every time I went in there, it was warm and toasty. It smelled like kerosene, <laughs> you know, kerosene puts off a, a very specific kerosene smell for those of you who might've been around kerosene heat before. Uh, but you know, I, I, I'll never forget the kerosene space heaters that they use to heat their home in the winter. And, and we live in Indiana, so the winters are not mild. Uh, so it's a, it's a prime example of someone using one of these solutions that we're going to talk about not that long ago to heat their house full time. Yep. Okay. Why don't we get into some of these heating solutions where you want to start? Let's start with wood. You know, the might as well start with fire. Let's well, start with the, the most expensive and work our way down. I, I mean, I guess probably the most expensive, the most okay. labor intensive and work our way down. So let's start with, let's start with wood burning fireplaces. Um, you know, uh, wood burn ideally everyone has a wood burning fireplace or a wood burning cook stove some type of wood burning 
situation and they have access to an infinite supply of wood in the midst of a disaster. So that's ideal, right? That's how, you know, all of our ancestors at one point regulated core body temperature was by burning wood, whether it was an open fire or a, or a, 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 a fireplace of some kind. And so not that long mm-hmm. ago, 150 plus years ago, almost every home in America was heating with wood, uh, maybe a little bit of coal at that point. Uh, but wood, you know, is the is really the ideal backup heating scenario um, from a resource perspective. But it's not always the most ideal for someone who might be living in a home that doesn't have a wood burning fireplace already. Right. Right. <laughs> Because you're dependent on, you know, and and then we have the huge factor of you've got to have the wood, you know, and not a lot of people have land and access. So then we have to talk about delivery and things like that. So um, you you can completely have heat independence um, if you have the access to wood and you have a wood burning fireplace. That's the great thing about heating with wood is, you know, we don't you don't even have to you could you could heat your house and some people still do year round with wood and just forget the whole disaster scenario and you don't even have a hiccup if something happens that's a great thing that i really love about wood is it's just as good during and outside of a disaster yeah i totally agree with you creek i mean it's been it's been 25 years now that my family and i have been able to you know one live in areas where there was pretty ready access to uh, wood resources and in fact on all of our properties since then from vermont to where we're at now you know we've had our own uh, pretty much self-sustaining wood lots um but that doesn't mean that i've always cut the wood either we'll get into you know maybe some some of those sorts of things but it really kind of depends on the year even for us there are some years where we our primary is our wood heat and then our secondary is our gas furnace um, this year we were about 50, 50 and, um, yeah, so, uh, but not everybody has, like you said, we want to gear this towards, um, not only folks that live in the country or suburb, you know, but suburban and, you know, urban folks too. So, um, you know, a couple of things maybe that I've learned by heating with wood is it does produce, uh, a pretty even heat if you've got everything sized properly for your home versus even our gas forced air furnace. And uh, even if you purchase wood, especially with the way that uh, fuel costs are now for various different types of furnaces, even if you purchase your wood and it's it's pre-seasoned, uh, you're probably going to be about 50% of what your heating bill is. And, you know, if you did choose to go uh, kind of like a, a homestead wood route. Uh, some of the cons of you know, wood burning or wood bur- burning fireplaces is, you know, it it takes some work, doesn't it, Creek? It does. I, you know, I we heated our house with wood until I went to college. And then it became a little bit too much for my parents because, you know, we were the we were we became in high school and in late middle school. We became a lot of the labor for chopping and splitting <laughs> and, gather, and gathering wood. And then when my brother and I went away to school, that became a little less interesting to my dad, who was getting a little bit older at the time. So they actually 
pulled out the wood burning fireplace and put in um, a gas insert. Now they they operate off of propane, which is a little I would consider that a step back in the, you know, in the disaster preparedness realm. But, you know, it made sense for them for them. And especially now, you know, my dad just turned 83 and um, mm. he's just not able to get out on the farm anymore and split and cut wood because it is very it takes up a lot of work. I mean, you can you can pretty much plan on spending, you know, several weekends throughout the year doing nothing but, you know, sawing down dead standing lumber and sawing that up and splitting that up and ricking that up and maintaining your chainsaw and your splitter. And, you know, obviously you have to have fuel for those things if you go the modern route. So there's a lot to think about when it comes to harvesting your own wood for for heat. Yeah, it's definitely, definitely not to discourage folks, but it's interesting because it's almost an equation where um, the more heat, uh, I think it's, I think it just goes this way, maybe even across the board with a lot of like prepper homesteading sort of kind of things, where the more independent you want to be, it's going to require more time and labor on your part. That's why, you know, we have all this leisure time now, but hey, you know, 50 100 years ago you didn't have that much leisure time because you were you didn't have a chainsaw and you were you were cutting and dragging and stacking and seasoning wood and and uh all that sort of stuff you know a lot of your time mm-hmm. went to that so you know if you the hot so i think we could actually maybe even plot out a chart where the more independence you want in all of these uh preparedness areas and and specifically right now with heat independence, you know, the, probably the more time it's going to cost you unless you go with the convenience, which mm-hmm. I've done several times, just buying cut and split and seasoned wood that's been seasoned for a year or more. Um, yeah. So uh, open fireplaces, how efficient are they? If And like, you know, how, how would people go about, I mean, I would probably say if you don't have a wood fireplace, specifically, a you know, kind of like a traditional fireplace, already you're probably not going to put one in your house what are your thoughts yeah i mean open open fireplaces are the least efficient of the options so when it comes to heating with wood we really have we really have three options there's um there's well four i would say four options really so there's an open fireplace which is by far the coolest You know, there's nothing quite like sitting next to an open fireplace, you know, the classic wilderness lodge feel, you know, but it is the least efficient. It's going to burn the most amount of wood and provide you with the least amount of heat. Um, a lot of that heat just just escapes right up the chimney. Um, it's, it doesn't, doesn't tend to be very efficient that way, but, you know, it's still possible and does provide a great ambiance. So besides open fireplaces, we've got, um, besides open fireplaces we have kind of closed fireplaces right so it looks like an open fireplace it can still be bricked and rocked around except it's got doors on the front of it um that that just tend to make tend to make the whole situation a little bit more efficient so it's closed and those are have a little bit more design to them uh to to improve efficiency you still get the look of the the flames and you know the flames burning through the glass doors typically. Um, but it just makes everything a little bit more efficient that way. Um, yep. That's exactly what we have here. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, you know, since you have one of those, what are, what are your thoughts on, you know, one of the 
glass door fireplaces. Yeah. So, so just in 30 seconds or so here, uh, when we moved into our house, it wasn't finished. So that was actually a bonus, but there was a chimney from a previous fireplace that was here. So, um, our house is approximately approximately 3,000 square feet. So I went out and I wanted to have a fireplace. Um, I would call it a hybrid wood stove fireplace. Mm-hmm. Maybe maybe that's the mm-hmm. way to, to say it. And then we have a lot of natural stone around here. So uh, producer Ben and I, we uh, put the fireplace in, stoned it up, all of that. And the cool thing about it is the high efficiency either usually comes from like a platinum element, which I don't prefer, or like just simply these pipes that sit at the right angle at uh, towards the top of the stove. And what happens is the unburnt gases uh, go into those pipes and it, it creates a, a situation where it enables those gases to be uh, burned and not go up the chimney. So it makes it super efficient. And we love it. Plus it has uh, ceramic glass doors on the front or uh well ceramic glass framed out by by uh cast iron doors Mm -hmm. and uh you know it just gives you that feel of having the fireplace i mean we could just open the doors put a screen in front it would it would essentially be just like having a fireplace in our living room and it still is even with the doors closed and uh, it running at maximum efficiency so um i mean we we get by we can heat our whole home uh, through a winter on two or three cord. Oh, wow. It's, it's just so efficient because we have, you know, here's maybe a pro tip. If you have a open floor plan to your house, uh, you probably can size some sort of a fireplace or a fireplace insert or one of these hybrid wood stove fireplaces. And uh, essentially, uh, especially for emergency uh, preparedness, heat your entire home to a very reasonable temperature uh, using wood. Mm-hmm. So that's that's my take on it. I, I love it. And when we were in Vermont, we had a Vermont Castings wood stove there that has had one of those kind of flat cooktops. Mm-hmm. I think we're going to talk about that mm-hmm. a little bit. Yeah. And uh, uh, we did not have an open floor plan house, but it was a smaller uh, old kind of like early 1900s farmhouse. And, you know, that thing heated the entire house. Yeah. So, uh, you know, we've we've been both ends of the spectrum. That was again another high efficiency one, and uh, you know, I we love we love utilizing wood. You know, it just makes you feel like you're getting a bargain. And there's just something about it's kind of like having a garden. There's something about being close to your your very basic primal needs and being able to serve those. Uh, you know, just through even just a small little work of your hands, if that makes any mm-hmm. sense. Makes a lot of sense. So I had a, um, and and one note that I would say is a lot of those units, those um, hybrid, those hybrid wood burning fireplaces, they have fans too that will that are built into mm-hmm. yep. the fireplace itself and will help to circulate that hot air and kind of blow it out into the room a little bit better. Does yours have one of those, a fan? Yeah, it does. Yeah. Yep. Yep. We've got a. We've got a fan that it's actually set up on a thermometer, which I have set right now at 90 degrees. Whenever, whenever the wood stove is 90 degrees or more and the switch is on on the wall unit, it'll turn on. You know, of course, in a in a emergency situation, I mean, we, we would have electric here, which we may talk about this week. Um, but, uh, 
you know, if you don't have electric, the fan's not going to run, but still we, we can run our unit without the fan and still eat, heat the uh, entire home. But yes, we do have a fan. It's just kind of like, there's like a, a box and then there's airspace around, but still inside the unit. And then that, that little forced air fan just circulates uh, the heat from the, the uh, firebox itself out into the room. So I, I have a little, a little house on a river. We call it the, we call it the river cottage. And it was, I've lived in it for about 10 years uh, before I got married. And I was on natural gas heat at a natural gas furnace for that little house. But I ended up installing um, a freestanding uh, fireplace, wood burning fireplace, which is similar, you know, which is a different version than one that's inserted into like a stone chimney that we've just talked about. Mm-hmm. So these freestanding uh, wood burning uh, heating stoves, heating fireplaces, they, they can be really cool too. And like this place that I had was really small. So I, the only reason I want to tell this story is to give someone like a an idea of what it might cost to put something like this in. So this was really small. Mm-hmm. It's about 800 square feet. And um, I, there was a corner that kind of faced the river that was a perfect spot for a fireplace. And so I bought a brand called uh, Jotul, uh, J-O-T-U-L. Mm-hmm. So it's, um, I think it's, it's either Swedish or Norway. It's definitely Scandinavian design and made. Mm-hmm. And, I did not, I was filming at the time or busy at the time doing something. And so I hired the installation out. Somebody just came and installed it for me. And it was right at about a thousand dollars to buy the stove, have them run the ductwork up through the little ceiling. And then I tiled, I did like a tile backsplash, like a real thick tile backslash on the wall around it um, to, mm-hmm. you know, to, to be safe from the heat of the stove, but it's, was their smallest version. This thing is only like maybe 18 inches by 18 inches, the firebox of this stove. And I could heat my entire 800 to a thousand square foot home with that little tiny stove. And I always slept out there by it. So it's a perfect example of like, you don't have to do an entire house remodel. Like this was a very simple installation. They cut a hole in my ceiling. They ran the ductwork up through the roof. And you know, the same day I was burning wood. Yep. It's actually not that complicated and and you're right, Creek. I mean, there's, there's essentially two ways you can go. I mean, there's, we've got a lot of information resources now on YouTube and, and books and just people who know stuff, but you know, it can be as, as, uh, least complicated as you want. Cause there's, it's likely that in your area, there's two or three, uh, places within, you know, 10, 15 miles that will help you size and, uh, figure out what your budget is and install, you know, install a wood stove for you. Um, then you have some more affordable options, like even our local tractor supply. I mean, and Lowe's, they sell the stoves, they sell, you know, they sell the pipe. And my best estimate is, you know, you could get, you know, a, a unit and do it yourself for, you know, about a thousand dollars there. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it doesn't have to be complicated and it doesn't have to be expensive. Right. The, the freestanding is the, is the, the, the easiest, you know, this thing is going to sit on a tile yeah, or, is. 
yeah it's very simple like it can you can do like concrete pavers as a base i mean or you could dress it up with some with a nice little tiled corner or tile backsplash but it's super simple it can mm-hmm. run up the ceiling or it could hook out and run out the right run out a side wall uh, but you could i mean if you budget it in you could be you could have a wood burning stove in your house like in sweden there's like a wood burning stove in every room you know and a lot of them are freestanding and so I mean, this is something that's totally practical for you don't have to feel like that it's something that is beyond your budget or or beyond your capabilities, because almost anyone can do this. And can you speak to the wood stoves that actually have a flat top that, you know, have kind of like dual purpose uh, capabilities? Yeah, absolutely. So this is what's typically referred to as a cook stove. So the primary purpose of this particular style of stove, a cook stove, is that it it doubles as a as a range. So it's got flat surfaces, typically with different size like circles that you can pull out that control the heat to the different pots and pans that you might have sitting on top. Cook stoves are really, really interesting. Um, There are wood burning cook stoves. I mean, back, you know, my mom, you know, can remember up until she went to college, they used a wood burning cook stove, um, at home, you know? And so uh, this is, this is technology that is not that old and they are, they make modern wood burning cook stoves these days. And I'll give you here before we wrap up this wood burning section, I want to give, um, some resources to where someone may go and some brand names to where someone might might want to consider. Um, but there's some really, there's some really incredible and kind of pricey wood burning cook stoves out there. So this is going to, this has got, these got a heat, a heat box in it, like a fire box in it. It's also got an area for baking. If you want to do baking breads or pies or something like that, or just warming something up, they've got warming areas where just to keep food warm. And then there's the cook, there's a cook top area that acts like a range. And some of these stoves can be outfitted with um, what are called water jackets so that you can boil water, you can have hot water, you could it's it's basically like a wood burning a a wood a wood fired hot water heater essentially. So you can even get stoves that have have those types of features. And then the bonus of that is not only have you solved your cooking problem, right? And your off-grid cooking problem, but now you have a heat source as well. So they don't put off the kind of heat that uh, like a stove that's typically designed specifically for heating will do, but they are wood burning stoves. And so they're definitely going to put off some of that radiant heat. Mm-hmm. And, you know, my experience with some of the like non-secondary burn high efficiency stoves, like the kind of like the old school cast iron stoves, Mm -hmm. because they don't have that air jacket kind of around the central firebox. um, And if they have a flat top, I used to work at a wilderness school way back in the day and we lived totally off grid. We, we had, uh, we basically every day from the main building, not every day, like once a week, we would take a car battery out, run our lights. And then our, our complete total heating source was like a big old, old school, uh, cast iron wood stove. And so we would be able to heat just cause the, the top was flat and it was, you know, it was pretty hot, got pretty hot all around it. Uh, we were able to, you know, even put a pot just right on the top of that boil some water and you know if we had to we certainly could have uh 
you know, process some meals. Yep. Uh, you know, just using that. And that wasn't anything complicated at all. So I, I think, you know, there's a lot of options when we're talking about wood. And I, I think the big point I want to leave people with is there are, because, because we're not in a disaster situation right now, there are a lot of options to make this a lot simpler for yourself, or you can make it as extravagant as you want. Yeah, like my little Joe Tool, um, it's a flat freeze. It's a flat top freestanding stove, and I can't tell you how many times I've made soup and stews and you know brewed tea mm-hmm. on the top of that exactly the way you've described from that old cast iron stove at, at the wilderness place that you taught. Um, as a resource for someone who's like maybe just getting started looking in and they're like, want to look at, want to look at some wood burning cook stoves and fireplaces, I would recommend going, there's a company called Layman's. It's L E H M A N S. Oh, com. Oh dude. Yes. So yes. I would recommend they've been in business. They, you know, they sell things that, you know, kind of get people back to the simpler days of life. And they have a store mm-hmm. in Ohio, not only a, a, a physical brick and mortar store, but they have a great website and there are entire sections that are dedicated to stoves and they're going to, you know, they've been in business long enough where they've kind of tested through this stuff. They only sell the stuff that's good and it's worth looking through. So L E H M A N S.com. You're going to see a bunch of different um, brands and varieties of not only freestanding fireplaces, but cook stoves. It's going to give you, it's going to, it's a really easy and simple place to start that has a lot of options in one one spot and it's actually lehman's uh their extended name is non-electric so uh you know if you want to keep moving towards uh independence and uh preparedness they have they have anything for anything that is non-electric and uh and you know modern versions of of all of that stuff too that true story real quick story Mm -hmm. uh my wife and i were actually considering it's our anniversary this weekend and we wanted to go south, and just because of this whole COVID thing, thought maybe going far away wasn't a good idea right now. But since we're in Pennsylvania, we we have actually considered buzzing over to Ohio mm-hmm. and going to Lehman's for our for our anniversary. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> I would, you know, I love so, the idea uh, yeah. of doing a road trip there. My kids would love some of those little simple toys. <laughs> All right, man. I'll meet you there. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, all of these we'll put a we'll put a link in the show notes so you can get over at Ultimate Survival Tips. Just click the podcast tab. Uh, everything Creek and I mentioned here, uh, including all the tools that we might talk about uh, going forward, we'll put those in the show notes. You can grab those at your leisure. All right, Creek. What do you want to talk about next? Well, you know, we have entire outlines for about getting wood and processing wood, but I think I think because of time we should jump to some of the the more simpler turnkey backup solutions. Okay, so in the show notes what I'll do is everything we're skipping over right now just like your modern tools that you would use to process wood and your more traditional tools that you would use to process wood. I'm just going to put all that in the show notes for folks so they can, if they want links and all that to what we would recommend as far as those types of tools and techniques, they can grab that there. How's that sound? That sounds great. That's a great idea. Okay. All right. So uh, go ahead and start up where you want to, you want to kick us off. So let's, let's, let's bump over to kerosene. Let's bump over to kerosene because I love kerosene because it's, um, it's an affordable fuel. 
Uh, well, at least it was. <laughs> it's starting to the price. <laughs> the price is starting to go up a little bit. Uh, but you know that'll that'll work its way down over time. But I love kerosene because of its storage. Um, it is a fuel that will store a very, 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 very long time without you having to add any additives. It is a very stable fuel. In fact, um, you can take a match and throw it onto um, a liquid kerosene, like right onto the top of a bowl of kerosene, and it will not ignite, which I always thought was really, really interesting. And so it's not like gasoline where it's incredibly volatile. The ignition temperature is quite a bit higher, so it feels a little bit more safe, right? Um, and mm -hmm. combine that with the storage life, it becomes a really interesting fuel to consider stocking up on uh, because there are three really great uses for kerosene. So number one, as a backup heating source, um, like I mentioned, my grandparents heated their entire home with two kerosene space heaters um, in Indiana winters. The same type of space heater that you can go out right now to a home improvement center and pick up for about 150 bucks. They look like kind of like a jet turbine engine sitting vertical in the middle of a room. They're, they're small. They're only about, you know, they're 20 inches in diameter. And they're kind of a column, a pillar, and they've got a, they've got a silver cage around them. Uh, those are about 150 bucks. They'll handle anywhere from one to two gallons of kerosene, depending on the model. And they're a fantastic heating source. They're approved for indoor use. A lot of homes have burned down with these heaters. Okay. So you definitely want to follow the manufacturer's instructions. Make sure you understand how to use these things and don't put them near like pillows and curtains and stuff like that because they can't, I, you know, I'd be lying if I didn't say my grandparents didn't have at least one house fire. Okay. So you gotta, you, you gotta be careful with, with any kind of space heater period in your home. So kerosene, what I love about kerosene is you can buy it by the gallon, like at home improvement centers, but I actually have a 55 gallon drum of kerosene. I had a 55 gallon drum of kerosene delivered. Um, it, it fits on a, like a, a drum dolly. I had it, I had them drop it right on a drum dolly so I can roll it around and move it around. Um, and 55 gallons of kerosene is going to last you is a great, short-term backup heating solution. You can just get a drum pump and pump it right out of there into smaller containers. And you can use that not only for these space heaters, but if you have, if you've decided to go deep on kerosene, you know, there are some really interesting kerosene cook stoves out there, not only on Lehman's uh, website, you'll see some modern um, kerosene cook stoves that are the perfection. They're called perfection cook stoves. And those are the modern day versions of the old perfection cook stoves, which really were a huge fad um, right out of kind of wood and coal burning cook stoves. So America itself moved from wood and coal, wood to coal, and then coal to kerosene primarily. And this kerosene cook stove, perfection cook stove, um, and heaters and small space heaters were the rage for a while in Mer in America. Mm -hmm. And then that transitioned into electricity and gas and um, boilers and things like that. So you can pick up some old kerosene cook stoves um, and kerosene space heaters for a really interesting price. Um, and 
kerosene you can burn in lamps. So you could potentially, even though it's not as clean burning as lamp oil, which is a little bit more refined, it can be used as a lamp oil. Um, it's going to put off a little bit more odor than a lamp oil, but it could be a really great lighting option in a pinch. All of these things are going to require a little bit of ventilation, a cracked window nearby, but they, I mean, to knock out three birds with one stone, if you don't want to go the wood route, kerosene might make sense for you. Hmm. Yeah. And especially for like, uh, I mean, your heat, it's more of a, you know, it's a short midterm solution Mm -hmm. if you have, like you have a 55 gallon drum, Mm -hmm. but for cooking, I mean, you're going to use a lot less caro in a cook stove. And for lamps, I, I think I saw in your book that one gallon of kerosene would light a, an oil lamp for about 500 hours. So, you know, what what is a shorter term backup heat becomes a, a pretty long term cooking and lighting solution. Mm-hmm. So I like it. Yeah. So it's um, it's an option, you know, I, like you said, a short term option. And then, you know, we move into a fuel where a lot of people, um, a lot of people are familiar with and have in their homes right now. Um, We move into propane. So propane is a fantastic um, heating option. And it's got a lot of flexibility too, that we could, that we could knock out a couple of birds with one propane stone, I guess you would say. So um, a, a lot of people have 20, 20, 20 pound propane tanks at, in their house right now, um, for not in their house, but on their back patio for barbecue grills. Um, and that is an immediate option for cooking. Of course, you know, it's a grill isn't the most efficient off grid cooking solution, but it is an option. So, okay. And some people have really tricked out grills. So, I mean, if you got a real tricked out grill, it may be, maybe a really good option. My old my old grill is not a tricked out grill, so it would be a very, <laughs> a very efficient option. Uh, but one thing I love about propane is that you've got some really interesting flexibility when it comes to um, when it comes to off grid heat. So starting really small and inexpensive, there's um, a Mister a little buddy, Mister Heater, little buddy. It operates on mm-hmm. one pound propane tanks, um, but it can you can purchase. Um, you can purchase a kit, which is basically a connector kit that you can hook that up to a 20 pound tank. So your barbecue grill tank and provide heat with that little buddy heater. It's only about 12 inches by 12 inches in size. And it's a great small space heater for one room. Um, it still needs to be ventilated, but it is approved for indoor use, which is really, which makes it really unique. So I love it for that reason. Um, if you want it, you know, a lot of people have the big propane pill tanks or big propane tanks in their backyard. You know, that's what my parents use. A lot of people out in the country have the propane delivery. You know, having those big tanks gives you a lot of options when it comes to propane. One of the most efficient, and I installed one of these in um, in that little river cottage that I was telling you about as well, just as a backup. One of the most efficient propane heaters is, are these are these ventless wall heaters. So it's a mm-hmm. ventless propane heater that you mount on the wall. It direct connects, has to be to a large tank. Can't be to like a 20 pound tank has to be to a much bigger tank. Um, if, if you can get one of those in your backyard, 
that becomes a really, really interesting option because those ventless, those ventless wall heaters are really easy to install. They're very simple to hook up. It's not going to cost you a fortune, a few hundred bucks. And all of a sudden you have got a full on wall mounted ventless heater that you don't have to tear your wall out about. That's going to, that's going to provide heat, heat to up to like a thousand square foot. I mean, it's a really impressive little heating option on propane. That's great Creek. And, and I, I think we'd be amiss if we didn't mention that if you already have natural gas running into your house, although it's a gridded option, it's, it's, maybe you have some statistical data, but it's, it's less likely yes. to go down, uh, than your electric grid is, is, but, but they also make, um, these ventless propane heaters. I think some of them are like, it's the same heater, but it just needs like a, an adjustment in it by whoever installs it for you. But these gas ventless heaters are the same. So if you already have gas running in your house, you're, you're kind of like all set. Absolutely. Absolutely. So most of these heaters, they, they're going to do both propane and natural gas. So this, Mm -hmm. that's the, and if you have natural gas, I would say, forget the propane and, and grid tie it to natural gas because your chances of natural gas going out are a lot less. I mean, there's very few circumstances that knock out natural gas earthquakes being one of them. Um, you know, war being one of them, you know, so there's very, very few circumstances that knock out natural gas as, as opposed to electricity. Yep. And these ventless heaters, these these wall mounted ventless heaters do not require electricity. It's just gas plumbed and you flip it on. There's a little ignition switch. You push the button and that thing's burning. Mm -hmm. Did you say they don't, they don't require electricity? No, they do not. That's, that's awesome. Yeah. We were going to get one. Our, our studio and warehouse is actually in the basement of my house. Mm-hmm. So um, that's where I'm sitting right now. And we needed a heating, heating solution down here because Gabe, my son-in-law, who runs our, our shipping and assembly, he was freezing down here. And we were really close to getting a vent list because the natural gas runs right into the basement mm-hmm. here. Uh, we did end up going the maybe simpler route and just getting one of those uh it's like it's like a 220 electric yeah. uh, heater with a blower just because it was a little bit simpler installation and it's not down it's actually not down here for like if it got cold in our basement you know it's no big no super big deal because it never gets below like 51 yeah degrees yeah down yeah anyway. yeah yep uh but but i have considered those they they are uh they're really really neat what's the downside propane is there any maybe downside to i mean the downside the propane is you have to have delivery you know so it's got Mm -hmm. you got to have a tank you got to have a propane tank so that's a definite downside you know you've got to have a big tank in your backyard essentially yep and a lot of times that's owned by your uh whoever provides your propane to you um just one one thing as far as a preparedness standpoint, if things went really, really crazy that, you know, a big, uh, very, very large pill shaped white tank in your, in your backyard, if, if you live in an urban or suburban area is sort of kind of like a flag, like, Hey, I've got, I've got some sort of, you know, <laughs> I've basically got some propane here. <laughs> um, you know, if, if those sorts of things concern you and, uh, but 
But your parents, you had mentioned your parents, uh, what, they, they have a fairly large propane tank yep. and that gives them heat security for like almost or probably a full winter. A full right? winter. Absolutely. Full winter. I think on some occasions they may have to top it off. Uh, but yeah, so they, I mean, you can last several months depending on the size of the tank. I mean, some people have huge tanks buried in the ground, you know, that can last a really long time. So it all depends on how big your tank is. Yep. I like it. I like it. Um, so you want to try and get into electricity here? Sure. Or do we have anything else as far as heating? Uh, maybe one thing. Uh, there may be some people thinking, well, hey, what about like things like pellet stoves? Mm-hmm. I'd let, I'm curious to hear hear what your take is on on those sort of solutions. I mean, I love I, pellet stoves are really efficient. I I have never owned a pellet stove, so I don't have a lot of personal experience with pellet stoves. I think they're really cool. I love how they just kind of you fill up hoppers and they drop the pellets in automatically, depending on when they need them. I mean, it's a pretty cool solution using biomass pellets. You know, um, yeah. I've always been interested. You know, in fact, it's really funny that you bring that up because I saw a video the other day online. Uh, and I'm trying to figure out if it was even true. There was this machine and it had this hopper in the top and there was this guy pushing dry leaves into this hopper and spitting out the bottom uh, of the chute in this little machine that was no bigger than it did. I swear it wasn't much bigger, bigger than a crock pot and Hmm. coming out the bottom of this machine were these little pellets for like wood for like pellet stoves and all they were putting in the top of it was leaves dry leaves really it, it was so interesting it's on my list of things to like research to see where if that if that was a if that's actually real cuz it looked so crazy um so I'm going to try it because that made pellet stoves in my mind very, very interesting because in my mind, it's the, all the drawback has always been, you know, you got to buy the pellets. You're completely dependent on the pellet suppliers. And on a lot mm-hmm. of this stuff, you're dependent on suppliers of fuel and kerosene. I get that, you know, but, you know, for for me, you know, I have access to wood. And so because of that reason, I've never considered a pellet stove. Mm hmm. Right. Me too. I, I mean, I've considered them. Um, you're, you're not necessarily grid tied, but what I think what you're saying is like previously you would buy your, your pellets, you know, buy the bag or, or buy them in some sort of bulk and then store them. But now there's some people that, that are coming out with creative ideas where you can, you know, in the fall, you can just, you know, start converting your leaves into pellets. So you're a lot less, um, uh, dependent upon, you know, some other resource as far as being renewable or somewhat renewable uh, for your fuel. Yeah, it became really interesting to me when I saw if that's real, and I don't know if it's real or not, because it was super, super cool. I mean, they were spitting out like that's little sick. pellets, you know, and it was very cool looking. Yeah, a pellet stove to me kind of seems like it's a really interesting option, even if we're talking about, hey, we just need to get through three months of winter Mm -hmm, right mm -hmm. so um a pellet stove i think i think would be a viable option for some people because i think it's sort of kind of like a hybrid between like a wood stove um it has some automation to it i think it's 
from what I've seen and, and friends that have owned them, it's uh, a lot less maintenance mm-hmm. and uh, a lot more controlled. Like you can get some more controlled temperature uh, in those units than maybe you can in, in some wood stoves. So anyway, I was just curious to hear what you said. Yeah. And I think some people were probably, uh, you know, thinking about that. Yeah. So Creek, ah, I, I'm thinking that I think this whole blackout proof home elect- electricity module, I think that's another podcast. Let's do it. Think. Let's do it on another podcast. That way we can do it justice. Okay. That sounds really cool. Brother, so how can people find you and how can they find your book? Tell us a little bit about your book also. Yeah, so my book, The Disaster Ready Home, is new and it is a step-by-step manual for sheltering in place, for being ready to shelter in place. I cover food, water, um, cooking, off-grid cooking, off-grid hygiene, off-grid heating, just some really fairly simple and inexpensive steps if you're just getting started in disaster preparedness to take to have peace of mind for what might come down the pike. And these are very just really practical um, and affordable options. It's not about moving to the mountains or becoming a homesteader or going off grid or putting solar panels on your roof, although you could do all of those things. These are more for the average, the average, the average person who lives in a suburb. So I felt like there was a missing, a missing resource there for the average person. So you can find that book anywhere books are sold and you can connect with me at creekstewart.com. Hop on my email list and I'll send you tons of great survival and disaster preparedness tips. And dude, you can only find your book everywhere because you are like big time bestseller in this space and you you have like the best publisher in the world. So that's that's totally awesome. I've I've got a couple of the books uh, here and I love it. I love it. And that's, that's honestly, that's exactly why we're, we're sort of kind of, you know, using the book as, is our basis for these podcasts and kind of expanding on, you know, on some things. And there's a lot of, uh, color pictures, DIY, how to step-by-step love seeing your family in the book. Yeah. And, uh, so I, I'm a I'm a super huge fan or we wouldn't be doing these podcasts. So well done. Well done, my friend. Well, love you guys. All right, man. So uh, next time we'll get into blackout proof home electricity. Sound good? Sounds like a plan. Looking forward to it. Okay, man. I really appreciate you. And uh, we'll, we'll get back to this uh, in a future podcast. See you next. Thanks, see you next time, brother. Okay, everyone, before we head out of here, I'd like to ask you to do three things to help us out and help others learn what they need to do now before a disaster strikes. First, please pay it forward by sharing our family-friendly content with the ones you love and on social media. Second, go over to our mothership, ultimatesurvivaltips.com, and check it out. There's lots of free content, videos, and unique gear like our tiny survival and first aid guides and my MSK1 knife. And while you're there, don't forget to click on the podcast tab to get the show notes PDF with links to everything we discussed today. Then please, please, please go give us a five-star rating if you haven't already done so and an honest review wherever you listen to this podcast. 
And we want to hear from you. So send us an email at survivalshowpodcast at gmail.com or you can go to ultimatesurvivaltips.com, scroll to the bottom of the page, and leave us a message there. Let us know the topics you want us to cover on this podcast, guests you'd like to hear from, and send us your questions. If we feature your question on the show, we'll give you a shout out and I will put your name in the hat for a chance to win an MSK1 knife for Christmas. And don't forget to go grab yourself some tiny first aid guides and discover the essential skills you need to become a medically prepared person ready to save a life and administer first aid in almost any situation. You can get them at ultimatesurvivaltips.com or on Amazon. All right, everybody. I think that's about it. Thanks for joining us today. We'll see you next time on the Survival Show podcast. Until then, keep it simple, be positive, and stay sharp.